0: From the founders of Mod Racing and the Northwest Rally Association, this is the Motorsport and Driver Development Show. My name is Keto Brillmeyer, and together with Katie Lobkovich, who is my partner in life and business, we have built the fastest growing rally program in the U.S. Through our work, we get to meet incredible people, and this show is all about bringing those people to you. Whether you're curious about what it takes to start racing, or you want to get advice from the best on how to improve, each episode will have something for you. Today we are talking to Jason Bailey, a rally driver and entrepreneur from British Columbia. He talks about his experience starting in rally, how he would do it differently now, and what it's like to race WRC as an everyday person. Jason gets into in great detail about learning to call notes and building rapport with your co-driver. He also keeps it real about the true cost to rally and the most important attributes of your team. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow along with our race series on Instagram or Facebook at Mod Racing or you can find us online at modracing.com. Now let's get to it.
1: Welcome to the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. My name is Katie. i And today we are joined with Jason Bailey who is a super experienced rally driver and we're really excited to get into all of your wisdom and experience so welcome to the show
2: thanks for having me happy to be here there's uh, you know lots of time in these crazy times so happy to uh, uh talk cars with somebody my my wife and kids are surely not interested in me talking about cars anymore and uh
1: mm, that may explain why we've gotten some more yeses than we expected yeah. <laughs> well this is awesome i think before we get into the racing we'll start with the fact that on the side of one of your cars in big letters there is an ad some sponsorship from a video game it's uh Tra- trailer park boys and trailer
2: park boys is our big game right now but we just launched a game a week and a half ago for cheech and chonk so oh. you know you and i being men of a certain age uh surely identify with that uh, historic ip uh but we also have a game for it's always sunny in philadelphia uh we're launching a game next week for the goldbergs uh and then we have a few other you know we have you know being you know vancouver boys uh we have a whole bunch of uh weed based stuff you know <laughs> uh, uh pot farm blood farm idle tycoon uh so we have a whole lot of different games that we run out of our studio here in vancouver and uh you know been blessed to be successful throughout this and right now with the with the Rona running wild. Um, everybody's locked in their house and they have nothing else to do but play video games. So we're super lucky and privileged to be in an industry that's actually thriving through all of this. Um, and there's no, and also lucky enough to to have a, a technology set up where all of my people are, are able to work from home. And so we're all still working, we're all doing well. We're, we're you know really lucky and privileged in that sense. I know there's a lot of people struggling real hard out there right now.
1: Yeah. I- it is really amazing when you think about the technologies we have in place that make it possible to do all these things and we're able to just kind of keep chugging along in some ways. Sometimes it blows my mind. Um, but I would love it if you talked a little bit about your journey from where you started to having your own company that puts these games out. Cause I think it's really interesting. And when people think about the journey to get from nothing to racing, it's really similar.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of late nights, a complete disregard for hours of operation, or uh, you know, a, a work ethic. Even you know, like sometimes, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are, and race car drivers are much the same. It's like it's that determination to get it done no matter what, and uh, you know, rally is a great analogy for that in. Uh, you're going to run into nothing but roadblocks, nothing but challenges, oftentimes completely out of your control um, or random, and, and you need to fight through it. And, you know, the, the, the famous press on regardless uh, is something that, that spans both entrepreneurship and rally very much because, um, you know, I can share countless stories of uh, mornings I woke up with my fingers crossed hoping that it all still existed and uh, uh you know fights and battles and stress levels through the roof to get through something. And it's the same thing with rally. The process of, you know, preparing the car, getting to the event, getting through Recce, getting your notes cleaned up, and then getting to the start line is such a massive undertaking. Uh people just think of the race and think of, you know, that that, that it all starts the minute the uh that light goes green and there is so much that goes on well before that. And it's the same thing you know, people look at our games like, you know, like the Chichen Chong game that we launched last week, and, you know, arguably it's an overnight success. It suddenly goes from not existing to existing, and, you know, uh, many, many people are playing it and it's making money, and da 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 da. And people look at that and go, wow, that's it's, it's that easy. It's like, no, 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 no. There is literally. I mean, first, like, you know, 15 years of working in the industry to get us to the knowledge point of all of this, but uh, also just the last year of a lot of prep from a lot of very talented technical people, uh, creative people logistics people and the same thing goes into rally like the 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 engineering talent to to, you know get your car ready the logistics to get the car there and ready to go and on the start line at the right time the relationship between me and my co-driver to prepare for the race so that when you know when we're there and when we're like that that light goes green that we're we're really ready for it
1: yeah a hundred percent. We we deal with similar things with putting events on. Where I heard someone say this one time, and I just kind of repeat it periodically. Which it takes ten years to be an overnight success. Yeah. See all the buildup that goes to it. They just think like, oh, you turn a switch on, and now you have this thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, I went to that event. I've been to many of Keto's events. They always run smooth. They're always great. How hard can this be? <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: We literally heard that comment before.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, so anybody you- can exactly. <laughs> how did you get into rally? How did you get into racing?
2: Uh, so I've always been a car guy since I was a kid, right? Um, and and so you know, and I was always uh, you know, partial to early seventies European cars. So uh, a couple of my favorite cars as a kid, as a teenager you know where the you know everybody else especially you know I'm a redneck grew up in in trailer park that that everybody liked their big Chevys and Fords but I always liked the little Saabs and the uh the Renault one of my first cars was a Renault I was super stoked on it um I remember uh I was looking for parts for my Renault and it broke down and uh I ran across you know kind of digging through the junkyard looking for parts and ran into an old Saab 96 and uh it was a you know early mid '60s one, and it so it had the the two stroke, and it had a little sign on the window. It said a lifetime guarantee on the engine. And this was the '80s when nothing was good. Like cars in the '80s, not 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 its best era. And so I was like just really impressed that a that a car company would give a true lifetime warranty on an engine, not um, you know the lifetime warranties we see now with the lifetime being forty thousand kilometers. Uh, you know, but a true. And so uh, that's one of the times where I was like, oh, that's really cool. And so I started kind of looking into SOPs more and getting into them. And then, uh, uh, you know, as many people know, in the late 60s, early 70s, SAAB was the king of rally. And so that's what kind of introduced me to rally as a sport. And of course, you know, late 80s, the group era, um, you know, it was the the height of rally sports. So, you know, I was familiar with the Audis and the the um, you know the car, the Group B cars that were winning at that time. And then, you know, time goes on. You gotta, you know, jobs, family, everything else. Um, you know, I, I my family's big now. Uh, the you know my kids are 22 and 26, and so uh, and also I've been very fortunate. Uh, in business and, and have been able to, uh, you know, build some very successful build- businesses, sell them uh, and uh, start the new ones. And this, this, this again, you know, the 10 year overnight success in the making is 20 years. Uh, and so was lucky enough to have the means to go out and do this. And so I bought an old Saab, um, you know, did, it, did exactly what I would tell every up and coming rally driver now not to do and that is built my own car on the first car and uh uh, had a ton of fun it's a super cool car um madly in love with it and if you guys remember when i started rallying i guess like six years ago in the frankensob like an old rusty red beat to crap like just a trash pile and it was ugly as sin and i kept it that way on purpose because i like ugly cars and uh um, yeah, I mean, struggled. I think I DNF'd my first five events, you know, like mechanical DNFs. And uh, but I learned a ton about how to prep a car, uh, how to get a car there, the logistics of it. And was just so lucky to find so many great people in rally who were able to point me in the right direction. And part of that was having a cool car that everybody wanted to look at and everybody wanted to talk about. Everybody's got some story about, you know, all the old timers. Anyway, all the young guys on the receiver, they didn't give a shit about me, but. The, uh, uh, you know, the old timers all love that car and gave me lots of fantastic advice.
0: So being a car guy, um, I I have a few questions. You said that you had an old Renault. What kind of, what what kind of Renault was?
2: My first Renault was in 19, was a 1985 Renault Encore with the 1.7 liter. So it was like, but, uh, there was lots of Renault fives back then, the little car as they call them in North America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, so the Renault five turbo was my dream car as a kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course the Renault fives that, uh, uh, raced spectacular little cars, but never really got a chance to get off the ground. Um, but, uh, I'm a big fella. You know how that is keto. You're a big fella. Yeah, and uh so I don't fit in those little cars and so, you know, I have a lot of cars from the 70s and 80s that I absolutely love and would love to race and would love to have. Uh but I don't fit in them. It's just not a reality. Like I would love to, you know, race an old Renault Alpine. I would love to race an old Lancia, uh but it's I don't fit in these cars.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Do you still have your Saab?
2: I s- sold all of my Saab stuff uh i have been on a a serious uh cleaning spree Mm -hmm. of uh reducing the clutter in my life and uh reducing the sources of stress and um you know so i very much changed my philosophy around owning cars Mm -hmm. uh at one point i had too many cars to count and i know you probably have the same disease you know somewhere between 16 and 20 odd cars i don't even know where half of them are uh, and, and, you know, I've been slowly but surely getting rid of them all. And so my sob is a real, you know, close place in my heart and I really wanted to keep it, but, uh, just don't have the space. Like my wife says I can own all the rusty, crappy old cars that I want, but I just can't keep them in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So, you know, I had a space where I was storing a bunch of them and then I had a, I had my sob stored out at, as uh, you know, as a rally car legend and uh but uh so i've sold them to a good friend of mine in in ontario who i'm confident will bring them back to life and -hmm. get them out on the stages again because the reality also was is um you know i love these old cars sure i'd love to race a renault alpine i'd love to race a renault 5 you know group b car those cars would all be a ton of fun but you know what they're not fast they're Mm -hmm. not good cars but kind
0: of, kind of like, You're not comparison to, to, down, to really modern, modern stuff. I, I, yeah. There's the kind of the old adage that like a 90s Mustang gets
2: walked on by a modern minivan. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> With the
2: kids in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's a and that's reality. And now that I've been, you know, I've been racing my R2 for a long time, um, you know, between you and I, where we're, I'm looking at stepping into an R5 and, and seeing what that's like. Uh, but I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> it's a lot of car. Uh, and, uh, we'll see how it goes, but I'm, I'm going to give it a shot and, and, uh, see how it goes. I mean, uh, but the R2 that I've been driving, that Ford Fiesta R2, um, is such a spectacular machine. It's, it's, you know, it's not built by a bunch of yahoos in their garage in Spokane. It's, it's a proper engineered, professional, but Malcolm Wilson built it, you know, it's, it's an M sport car. It's, it's ready. It's a tank. You can bang that thing into anything and it's just so easy to drive. Like, like it's got with a sequential gearbox and just like, it just screams and uh, you know, you get in it, you point it where you want to go and it gets there almost every time. I mean the first, I, when I first got that car, it was very, very reliable, but now I've got 20 odd races on it uh it's been beat up a little bit uh it's time for a full rebuild um you know and so you know i did a bunch of that and uh uh, yeah and then it still failed me i had a last year was a bad year for me i had a lot of mechanical dns and those are the most heartbreaking of all like if i bang into a tree if i roll it down a hill that's my fault but when it just quits on you mm, Mm -hmm. so aggravating Uh, yeah uh,
0: mm, interesting
1: it's Hmm. funny you mentioned that you have these cars but you don't know where they all are we live in the city and so our limiting factor is they have to have somewhere to go so it's like the constant jockeying of a parking space yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: if i want something new i gotta sell something yeah
1: there's only so much space um you mentioned the way you got into racing is all the advice you would tell someone not to do if someone was just getting started how would you take your experience and pivot it so that you could give them the best advice for getting going?
2: Uh, well, it would depend on my means. And, and luckily I have the means. So, so the way I'd go about it today is I'd walk into uh, one of many shops that are out there um, that will just rent me a car and just show up. You don't have to worry about prepping the car. You don't have to worry about getting the car there. You don't have to worry about getting it through tech and whether it's going to pass tech, which was a huge source of, of uh, stress for me the first half a dozen races because
1: mm-hmm.
2: there was always something like i didn't you know read these rules you know it's a big thick, thick book and i don't understand and you ask questions and everybody's got a different opinion and mm-hmm. so i would just rent a car um and you know renting a car can cost anywhere from a few thousand dollars to twenty five thousand dollars depending on on you know what car you're renting mm-hmm. uh but uh, uh you know it's going to be well prepped and ready you know, uh, all of that end of it. And then you can just concentrate on showing up for the race, getting your notes ready, creating that rapport with your co-driver and, and, you know, getting that car to the finish every time, every stage. Uh, but that's, you know, can be a relatively expensive way to do it. And so people think, Oh, I'm going to build my own car. I can, I'm going to do it for 2,500 bucks. No, you aren't. and, and, Uh, and then go out there. And so, but the reality is, is, is even just like basic safety equipment for a car, even if you're buying some of it used, you know, you need, you know, fire suit, Hans, a helmet, uh, and then, you know, a roll cage, you're not getting a roll cage done for less than two grand. That's that's safe. You know, if not three or four for a really good one. And there's some really great cage builders out there and there's nobody more important than a good cage builder because, uh, this is dangerous shit and you're flying and and your cage is everything when i when you need it so you know oh i want to weld my own cage I, I learned how to weld on uh, youtube and i'm gonna get out of no <laughs> the um so you know by the time you you get all the safety equipment into a car you're looking at four or five grand and then the, and then the actual cost of the car and i guarantee you if you build your own car you will absolutely unquestionably dnf on your first event <laughs> <laughs> right? and so you, you do and my math is always like like dollars per mile of state right and so if i can if you can get to an event for 5 grand and uh, um, and then then once you get to that a grand for 5 5 grand which is a pretty good deal cuz then cuz even like all the safety equipment the car the prep the fuel the tires and then you have hotels gas to get there you know food for all your crew and da da da, da, da. so so if you can do, like, even the most grassroots teams out there, like, you know, guys who are just bringing their buddies and have most of the equipment. And, like, so let's say you, you paid for the car, you paid for your safety equipment, you paid for, you know, you got a bunch of tires hanging around, you got a bunch of, you know, then you're still looking at fuel, hotels, da 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 da, and, you know, entry fees. If you can get out of a, a weekend for three or four grand, you're doing really, really well. But, yeah. uh, you, you, like I've done some big races, Mexico, Monte Carlo, uh, you know, big WRC events and those, <laughs> yeah, you're not doing that for five grand. You're not doing that for 25 grand. No. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think often people don't calculate their time into the costs. Yeah. Your time yeah. is valuable. Yeah. And if you don't calculate that in, you're spending so much more. Yeah, or
0: even, even travel. I mean, I'd probably spend three grand getting to and from a couple races. Yeah. Just- yeah. Just easy to back with truck and trailer. So. So yeah.
1: we'll, we'll get back to the technical, helpful questions. I want to hear about Monte Carlo and Mexico and cool. WRC things. you just on too. a whim. We're like, hey, I'm going to do these things.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I do. Hey, that'd be fun. All right, let's go. <laughs> uh, I'm super lucky to have a spectacular co-driver mm-hmm. who helps me with all of these logistics because, let's be frank, I am... Uh, organized is not what I do best. And so if it was up to me to organize a trip to Monte Carlo and uh, get all those logistics together, I just, it just wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. And so, um, you know, I found a place in France that would uh, rent us a car that qualified for the race, uh, you know, booking flights. And then even just getting that, like, like that kind of stuff. Okay, great. I'll write a check. Uh, you know, here's my credit card. Uh, get us there. And then once you're there, that's when the real logistics kick in. And that was the part of the first few events. And people are always like, "Oh, I'm going to build a car. It's going to be fast. I'm going to go out and I'm going to kick David Higgins' ass first race out, right?" No, you're not. You're not even. You're going to be lucky if you finish. You're going to be lucky if you start. You know the 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 amount of time and effort it goes into of like understanding the route book, where you're supposed to be, when, what the. A driver's meeting is and who's supposed to be there and what these weird things everybody's saying really mean like just it's so stressful the first race of just just be where you're supposed to be you know talking about Monte Carlo um, you know we got there and we're going through recce and it's like and so between the the start of Monte Carlo week because it's a week uh, to the end we put 5,000 kilometers on between the, the, the recce car and the rental car and the, the actual race car, 5,000 kilometers over the course of a week. Like, and it was, and it spread out across multiple countries and, you know, and you don't know any of these roads or these turns or like you know, once you've done an event two, three times, like you talk about an event like Oregon Trail or Pacific Forest Rally here, you know, events that I've done six times, yeah, I know where I'm supposed to do. The co-driver tells me where I'm going. But like he's telling every turn, and you're not just taking the highway and take this exit and boom. It's like, no, 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 down this road like this and over like this, and there's like a little you go around a corner and there's like a little dirt road and you gotta turn on that and there's no sign. And, you know, so you got to use your little odometer to know exactly where you are. Like, it's complicated stuff. Like, if you can get to your race and get to every stage and only check in late a few times and, and uh, get to the end of every stage in your first race, you're laughing. And so with, with a race like Monte Carlo, especially, like, it is a logistics nightmare. And if I didn't have Shane uh, telling me where to turn and when to turn and allowing me not to worry about that stuff so that I can worry about keeping the car on the road, it's a huge step up. And the same thing goes with, with, um, you know, pre- prepping for your first events, those first six or eight races I did, I was like, when I get to the start line, I'm exhausted. Cause I spent the whole week getting my car. I was up till midnight every night, getting my car ready, getting everything going. And then we do recce. I got to take the car to tech myself. we got to go through all of that kind of stuff. we got to set up service, me and my buddies all by ourselves. And so all of that stuff takes time, takes effort, takes way more time than you think it does. And then, so, I'm so stressed out about all that stuff. I'm so exhausted trying to keep up with all of that stuff that, uh, you know, by the time the race starts, I was exhausted. Like the first time I rented a car from rocket rally racing and didn't have to worry about all that stuff it felt weird when I got out to the start line. I'm like, normally I'm normally falling asleep right now. Like I feel ready to go. This is weird.
0: I'll bet they were worn out though.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> They're not dealing with me. So I got, a, I got a question for you. So when you went to go race over there, I know the U.S. and Canada are a little different. You guys are a lot closer tied to FIA. Yeah. Did you have to get a FIA competition license or a special license to race over there? I mean, I'm just assuming just any old Joe Blow isn't going to show up at Monte Carlo and be like, hey, I got next.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and again, we so the first WRC event we did was WRC Mexico Mm-hmm. And again, huge thanks to Shane, or we wouldn't have pulled, pulled it off, of figuring out what licenses we need. So you need, you need your Canadian uh, license, mm-hmm. uh, racing license, or, or American in your, your case, and then you need to go to the sanctioning body for your country you and go to them and get an FIA license. And that requires you to, uh, you know, so to get a Canadian license, you need, you know, you've got to take a first aid course, you've got to have a medical uh, exam to prove that you're not about to have a heart attack in the car, and then when you do your FIA, you even need a more, a more stringent medical exam, an EKG, all kinds of the stuff that you need to, to do. You know, I can see my arms work, you know, get the doctor to verify all of that. And then you get your FIA license, you need an international driver's license, you need um, a letter of permission to compete from the, the your, your country's sanctioning body. Uh, so you need to have all of this stuff together, plus have a car that's WRC uh, FIA homologated. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, they, there's the famous story of the guys showing up at Mexico in a BMW they bought on Craigslist and da da da. da. That doesn't happen anymore. That mm-hmm. was that was, and they raced national. It was very different than it is now. And and um, so we, we, you know, I drive my R2, and so I rent an R2 in Mexico um and uh you know great guy there matt's hammerland and hammerland racing great people who really helped us through the whole process and our locals to be on and were able to to take all that stress out because i went to the fia tech inspection oh my like they're out there with like little calibers measuring the thickness of your mud flaps making and if your mud flaps are too thick you don't race like they go through everything super like like the tech inspections you know i go up to keto and i show him my car and he's like yeah it's good you know, you know, you know, my cards. <laughs> you know, they, they look through this thing. Yeah. yeah. We checked your belt. You got a little pin in there. You're good. And, and like, that is not how FOIA goes. It, it's, it's, it's serious uh, stuff. So, and then even just like getting to Mexico and then you got to go to some weird place, booth in the middle of nowhere at a very particular time and andreas mickelson is in front of you and and you gotta have this big stack of all this paper and like oh my god there's seb ogre and and, you know he doesn't show up for tech inspection like or, or he's you know everybody's got uh uh like i think m sport had 180 people with them in mexico to support like five cars it's an incredible amount of people, and it's just me and Shane, and like, you know, like we're definitely fishes out of water. When we went to Monte Carlo, we were supposed to uh, go to a, a driver's meeting, like a safety briefing for the, uh, the Rally Safe stuff, and just screwing around and just exhausted, and we, we forgot about the meeting, okay, we the, the, uh, and so we didn't go to this meeting and then we're like, Oh my God, we're not going to get to race. Like you, this is a mandatory meeting. You miss a driver's meeting. You're not going to get to race. So we had to go and find this weird thing. We went to this person and, uh, uh, you know, apologized profusely. And, and I think, and this is, this is the only reason we got to race that weekend is cause I didn't even realize at the time who we were talking to, but it was fucking Michelle. Mouton oh. and And so I'm in there, you know, telling Michelle and I didn't realize at first who she was and, and, and but she's the safety person for the FIA. And 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 I'm like, oh, you know, we missed this meeting. And she's like, why did you miss this meeting? And I said, what are you going to do? My co-driver's an idiot. And she's like, yeah, we're right. <laughs> and then she <laughs> let us in. Because like, I guess she said, she OK, yeah, I get it. Yeah, what are you going to do? Co-drivers, right? And so uh, well, luckily we were able to race. Yeah. <laughs> Next and then after we realized I think Michelle Mouton just gave us shit. <laughs>
0: Next, uh, next time, start out by telling her how much you love Audis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we yeah, We got distracted, so that's really cool, Audi. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, I was driving over no, so at least we were driving a French car. That helped. There you
1: go. Right. She's like, I'll take pity on you. So I'm curious you talk about Shane, you talk about your co driver. How did you guys start working together? I think that that is sort of often an undervalued piece of this whole puzzle.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, I love to give co-drivers a hard time because they deserve it. But uh, <laughs> they're a different breed of people than the drivers, and and the joke is always you look around at any kind of turnaround stage where we're all hanging around waiting for waiting for the Ketos of the world to get their shit together and open the stage back up, and uh, uh, the the co-drivers are all kind of huddled in a corner looking at each other, kind of writing things down, comparing notes times and all the drivers are like, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. And um, talking about going wild, yeah, exactly. And so, uh, Shane, Shane, um, Shane, and I shared a garage here in Vancouver, and um, you know, he had a, a mechanical shop, and I rented some space for him to screw around with my cars and build my cars. And so, he was watching and interesting that, watching me go through a whole bunch of real shitty co-drivers and you know some good guys who 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 wanted to figure it out but i mean it's a very particular disease to be a co-driver and uh um you know my first few co-drivers you know we're having a good time in the car together and we'd have a good time and that's really important because um you spend a you know like shane and i putting five thousand kilometers on car over the course of a week in monte carlo and you're literally this far away from each other and you get we get you know Words were exchanged, repeated more than a few times. Shane and I have definitely uh, had enough of each other more than uh, more than once. And that's, but uh, you let it go and you do it. And when what's really important is that uh, he thinks my fart jokes are funny, and uh, you know I think his off-color sexist humor is occasionally funny. And uh, the you know we we get to where it is, and when and the second that light turns green, it's business time. There's no fucking around. Like that's when. Uh, you turn it on, you turn it off, right? We're having a good time. We're doing recce. We're making jokes. And then, boom, we're racing cars. And and this is serious. Like, you, if something goes sideways, something goes sideways. And Shane, but, you know, that's in the car. And so you need to pick a co-driver that you can spend that amount of time with. Um, you know, I've had some co-drivers that are less so. And so it's like, you know, they're a fine co-driver. And they're great when the car comes. The light goes on, and that's fine by it's Like, it's just so much time. Like, you're not having a good time. Why are we here? So, um, you know the the having that rapport with someone and having that right person. And so, Shane, the first time he ever co driver was with me. Uh, you know, he's since co driver for a couple other people, but uh, um, you know, we spent a lot of time. And the thing about Shane is he takes it really seriously, and he he puts the time and he puts the effort in, not just uh, um, you know before the race, helping with all the logistics, because uh, one of the good co drivers' core jobs is babysitter. And so making sure I have my passport and I didn't leave it on the plane and I have my my you know license and whatever and it's like you know and I don't I'm not allowed to hold on to that stuff. It's like the minute you it's like my wife passes me off to my co-driver and then he takes me from there, right? He holds on to my passport, he holds on to my FIA license, he holds on to the paperwork, he holds on to the directions to the hotel, he you know, arranged for the, the, the recce car. Otherwise, well, who knows what kind of weird car I rented. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, uh, getting all of those logistics together and then also, you know, doing recce and writing those notes down and having a good system. And then the amount of time, you know, the night after recce, co-drivers sit in the hotel room for four or six hours, cleaning up those notes, getting everything right making sure they're all organized, putting all their little pink and blue and yellow tabs on everything to get them all organized. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and then once you're on stage to, to deliver them at that cadence and really know your driver. And he, he controls my pace, right? Like he, at the, the, the pace he, he puts those notes out and he knows my limits. He knows when I'm under them and he knows when I'm over them. Mm-hmm. And he knows when oh, that was a squirrely corner, cause it was just softer or looser, or that was a squirrely corner. Cause you're going too goddamn fast. And, 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 and to say to me, dude, like take it down, think about the whole race. You know, he knows where we are. He's keeping track of our times and everything and knows where we're ahead and where other things, whether we need to be pushing right now or like, because once I, you know, once that light goes, the red mist hits and I'm just giving it no matter what. Right. It's like, you go into a stage. It's like, Oh, we've got a minute on our next competitor. We're just going to take it easy. <sighs> never <laughs> like it's, it's flat out every time and so he's able to pull me back and settle me down or, yeah. and he knows when something happened or when i you know you pass some car on the stage you see a triangle you see his car and it's like oh that was that's trevor i wonder what happened and he's like shut up and left too right right
1: that's hilarious mm, that's so funny. i want to get on to actual technical questions but first i just want to share so i am not Familiar. I was not familiar with rally. I got started all in all this because of keto and I just jumped in and organizationally I can handle a lot of things. So I just started helping out and it took, so we run rally sprints, which don't have the time controls like stage rally. And I think it took until our third sprint for me finally to learn that all those weirdos with their watches, standing around, asking me all these questions all the time. They were driving me nuts. They're the co-drivers, and that is literally their job, and we don't have those same time controls. And I was like, yeah. oh, they're so high maintenance. Like, oh
2: yeah, oh yeah, they all, they all have two watches. They got this watch and this watch, and this watch, and this watch, and I also have a watch in my pocket, just in case
1: i forget. Someone finally <laughs> explained to me, they were like, you know in stage rally, like, we have to check in. I was like, oh, I, no, didn't know yeah. that.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. and, and if you, if you screw up, and like, if I do something wrong, and we end up doesn't matter how much we're winning the race by, how much we're losing the race by, but if you do something that gets a penalty, where you like check into something late or whatever, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, we're ten minutes behind because we we're in a bush for ten minutes, right? And, uh, and no, 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 co-drivers is like, because they, they, when they look at the scores, when they look at the the data, they're looking at different stuff than we are. We're looking at stage times and who's winning, who's a the catch. They're looking at who got penalties so they can make fun of their other co-driver buddies. well oh, what happened there? You checked in two minutes late. Oh, course. and the worst one is if you check in early. If you check in early, that's 100% the cold driver's fault. And the, oh, yeah, that's embarrassing. You don't do that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I would love to hear about how you learned to call your notes and how you've developed the rapport with Shane that makes it so we he can help control your pacing. That's a good
2: question. Practice, 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 practice. I mean, the first, my very first event. Uh, Martin Burnley was kind enough to hop in the car with me and had some notes because I literally my first event I didn't even really know what pace notes were like I'd heard of them I know they got a guy who says things and he's saying things and I'm like what do these even mean like and so he taught me what they all meant and like he, he'd be like you know because we're using somebody else's notes that he had and, and he'd be like you know left six you know 70 right five and I'd be like, 70, what does that mean? Is it, and what it means is the distance, right? And I was like, is that how fast you want me to go around the corner? Because I don't know if I can go 70 around that corner. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so we figured it all out. And then, uh, you know, and, and, and you, know, you begin to get a system. And there's, there's a bunch of basic systems out there that everybody follows kind of like, you know, the typical one is kind of one to six with six being a soft corner and one being a hairpin. Uh, and those are generally tied to what gear you would go around that corner in if you had a proper gear ratio. That's the Colin McRae system. Colin you know, really developed that system. Now, and then there's pluses and minuses. Now people do a lot of like one to 10 or 10 to one. Um, so there's, there's different options out there. But at this point, um, every driver develops their own shorthand. And so I have a lot of keywords to me like you know care caution tidy uh these all mean very different things and and even to different drivers they'll mean different things like to me you know tidy means like just keep an eye on the road there's weird it's a weird little corner something happened it just means just pay a little bit of extra attention and don't fuck around don't be don't be trying to take every square inch of the road um you know care means don't screw this corner up or you're going to break something Mm -hmm. and then caution means if you screw this corner up we're all dead so so maybe slow down a little bit and then there's other ones like like uh slow or stop um you know like if there's a like you know slow over crest into something else then that means uh slow in a rally car you know you're on recce and you're like oh this is a bit of a sketchy corner i better go slow through here and so uh but slow in a rally car is about 80 kilometers an hour you know like you're over a crescent i don't know it's like like so You think you're going to go slow, but then when when you're in race mode, slow is slow. And then another cue is stop. That means when you come over this crest or whatever it might be, or through this little bit, like come to a complete stop. And a complete stop in a rally car is about 50 kilometers an hour, right? And so so it's like you know you do it so you feel like you were stopped when you went around that corner or over that crest. But you know when you're in the car and and it's 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 race time, that's that's pretty fast. But now we have a bunch of the, those kind of shorthands and you know into and then you know these are all different cues as to distances between corners or how the two corners tie together or you know don't go wide or in or very in or mid or flat like these are all cues to me that allow me to go faster and faster and for the first dozen or 15, 20 races it was just about getting the corner Speech right and now if I like if I pull up my old notes for a race that I haven't done in a few years and we try to use them on stage they're garbage like they're so inconsistent and just calling the corners and and like you know the difference between a three and a five is massive but you know it takes it takes a certain amount of time and experience to to really get good at that and then now that I've got the corner frequencies down then it's about how do they tie into each other? Where on the road do I need to be? When can I push hard? When can I, when, when do you not want to push hard? And getting all of those keywords into your words, it's just experience and and uh, uh, in America, you guys have it particularly challenging because the organizers supply you with Jamba notes, which are, 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 and so people just follow those and clean them up a little bit, or some people don't even wreck and. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend that. I don't think that's, uh, uh, whereas in Canada, you always have to write your own notes from scratch.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so for a lot of races, like, you know, Oregon Trail is a great example of it. You know, I've done that race four or five times and my notes get cleaned up year after year after year. Very disappointed that, uh, you know, we didn't get to run it this year. But, uh, you know, my notes for that race are spectacular. Like they are so cleaned up. They are so perfect. And we go through them and we, recce is a lot easier now as we're we're making maybe, six or 10 changes on a stage as opposed to writing a whole set of notes from scratch and um you know you talk about a race like Monte Carlo uh you know here in Canada we generally get a a kilometer per page like every kilometer has a page of notes on it uh in Monte Carlo it's easily double that there are stages that were 60 70 pages long um you know for for 25 30 kilometer stages because the roads are just so busy and so twisty there uh um, yeah whereas here like as you know oregon trail has big long straightaways 200 yards and and uh, uh it's not like a, like in monte carlo if you get a, a 70 yard stretch it's like oh that's wide open there
0: <laughs> so did you and your co-driver practice before racing or did you do all your practice at races Or did you guys just like hop in a car and go for a drive up a mountain road and throw notes or
2: yeah, I, I did that with some of my first co-drivers and, you know, kind of more for myself than anything and to teach them my when I was bringing in new co-drivers because the first few races I did were um, with total rookies, like just buddies that we'd come out and have fun together. Um, and so by the time Shane hopped in with me, I'd already done probably 12, 15 events. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I already had my system down and was able to teach that to Shane mm-hmm. um, I don't even remember our first event. I think we might have had notes that we were just cleaning up, even so. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopping in a mountain road and doing that. But the, the the real test of your notes is when you do it at speed. Uh, you don't know how off, like whether that corner is a four plus or a five minus. Uh, it doesn't really matter when you're going at recce speeds, but when you're flat in it sideways at you know 110 kilometers an hour, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we, we did do mountain roads and figure all that out, but really it's just, it's just experience. And, and, uh, you know, I was lucky to have guys like Pat Richard who helped me out, especially later once I started racing with rocket, um, you know, shared with me his, his view on notes and, and even gave me some of his notes to look at for different stages when I went and did, uh, uh some races so that I could, I could just compare his, I'm not able to use his notes. His notes are nuts cause he's a maniac, but, uh, at least I got a sense of how he looked at the road and, and that was helpful.
0: Interesting. So you said early on when you first started, um, you had somebody who kind of told you, you know, this is what one through six means and so on and so forth. So would you suggest if somebody was starting out, um, that they couple with a very experienced co-driver kind of show them the ropes, or would you say, you know, cause now later you're now explaining to the co-driver, what you want called um you know uh, there's got to be some change over at some point but would you think a beginner would want an experience and maybe later you pick somebody to
2: train yeah so so if i could go back you know like luckily like you know like i say martin was great to teach me on my first event and so that gave me a good foundation uh, but the You know, if you should be so lucky. I mean, there's there's, there's, there's only a handful of of really exceptional co-drivers in North America, and I've been lucky enough to work with with some of them. And, you know, sure, yeah, we'd all love it. You know, if Alice Gelsimino or or, uh, Craig Drew wants to hop in the car with you, then you don't say no. But, uh, uh, you know, these guys are world class. And then, you know, you have, uh, like, um, you know, Leanne Unila and Chris Kramer, who I've raced with a bunch. Uh, also very experienced, very talented co-drivers who, who get what to do. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky to be able to jump in the car with them. And the reality is, 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 um, you know, the great co-drivers get to pick and choose who they want to seat with and they're going to choose the safe seat. And, uh, the first, uh, uh, the guys at the back of the pack are running the first races. They are most likely to crash and not, not in a, a, You know, it seems scary. Like the guys at the front, you think, oh, I mean, those are the scary rides. Yeah, those are the fast rides. They're actually not the scary rides because those guys are spectacular drivers. If something does go wrong in the front of the pack, it generally goes very wrong. But, uh, um, you know, safe cars, good drivers, it's not a big deal. The back of the pack, guys, that's where anything can happen. And uh, uh, so, you know, a lot of co-drivers are less likely to happen. Again, you know, thanks to Martin for hopping in with me you know who who was one of those crazy back of the packers and i miss the back of the pack i like those guys the the you know so i would say definitely you want to at least talk to many co drivers and and get them you know understand that system you know even playing games like dirt rally um, you the co-driver notes on those games have gotten a lot better they, they're still terrible and i i, I if that person was my co-driver, I'd kick them out of the car because they give some bad calls, late calls, like, oh my God, it's so bad. And that, um, yeah, but it, should you be so lucky as to have somebody who's willing to sit with you, you're, you know, absolutely take advantage of that. But ultimately, you want to find that person that you have the best rapport with. Like, it's not about having you know alex in the car with you it's about having somebody in the car with you that you're willing to spend that kind of time with mm-hmm. who is empathetic to what you want to do who understands what your goals for the weekend are and has helped you and is willing to cuz some co-drivers don't babysit and that's not going to work well with me uh, unfortunately i'm desperately in need of babysitting or i'll be i'll be often like like somebody i'll be in dave clark's pit and we're yakking about who the hell knows what And, you know, giving each other a hard time when I'm supposed to be in my car fixing something or in my, you know, so that's just the reality of me. Like, uh, um, yeah, so if you should be so lucky to have a pro, get it. But really long term, find that buddy of yours who you're willing to spend that time and who's willing to put the time into really learning how to be spectacular at this. Because a good co-driver is the difference between a shitty weekend and a great weekend
1: so true yes Um, one thing I've always been curious of and your mention of dirt rally kind of brought this to mind for me did it take a while for you when you were driving to really hear and process and apply the notes
2: absolutely and it still does sometimes like uh, uh, you know great example we were at uh, WRC Mexico a couple years ago Mm -hmm. Uh, you know Dave Wallingford and Leanne were in a couple cars in front of us and uh, they went on to a stage up the road they go next car doesn't next car goes car after that doesn't go doesn't go and we're sitting there like what the hell next thing you know you know it's clear that something happened somebody crashed i'm like okay whatever and then you know word comes back oh you know stage is delayed just a crash at kilometer three Mm -hmm. and we're like "Mm -hmm, kilometer three that's when they stopped it that's like i think that's david Leanne. Mm -hmm. and then uh, and then you know, of course, I get all stressed out and I'm worried. And then Shane says, oh, don't worry. As long as the, uh, the medical helicopter stays parked right there because we can see the medical app, helicopter, it's no big deal. Next thing you know, the fucking helicopter takes off, right? And so I'm like, oh, shit. Anyway, and then they end up canceling the stage and they turn us around and we have to transit to the next place. And I'm like, where's my friends, right? Like, and I was upset. Like, I was fucking crying. And then and I'm like, cause I don't know, are my friends okay? Like, like, like what happened? Like, like, are, are, like if it's bad enough, the fucking chopper went up and got them. Like, like, are my friends okay? And then, and then anyway, the race goes on. We transit to the next stage. We're at the start of the next stage. I'm trying to put it out of my mind. You know, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do. Like, like hopefully they're fine. Um, but we don't know. And then I, we go into the stage, literally two corners in. And it's like, you know, left three extreme downhill into like a right two plus over a super narrow bridge, soft and sandy. I don't remember exactly what the note was, but it was something like left two, downhill into sandy, you know, caution, downhill, slow into sandy, narrow bridge, don't go wide. Like it was a whole mouthful of like, watch out. This is a bad sketchy corner. And I heard none of it. All I heard was something about a fucking bridge. Next thing you know, like a my one wheel's hanging off the side of the bridge. We didn't make it over that bridge, and and you know, get out of the car and chains like, like you know, da 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 I'm like, oh, I don't know what are you gonna do. And anyway, get the car back on stage. Spectator, help us get it going. Got to the end of the stage, circle back, the next loop. Find out Dave and leanne are you know, well they're okay, but uh, you know, of course, we all know Dave was in rough shape for a long time. Still, still recovering. But um, you know, then the next stage we do the same stage again and, and we come to that same corner, it's like three corners in and Shane calls out this mouthful. I'm like, Is that my, Is this my corner? Like, did you say all of that last time? And he's like, Yeah, I said all of that last time, you just didn't hear me. Like there's a real like if you're not hyper focused on those notes and because they come fast and they come consistent and a lot of times like you gotta you gotta carry them, and that's a good co-driver because you know, Shane knows how much I can carry. Some note, some co-drivers like a whole bunch of information early. Mm-hmm. Some co-driver, some drivers like Chris Meek likes his notes late. Like he likes, like you watch his onboards and he's like, you know, uh, um, you know, Nagel or whoever he's driving with, will call those like, like late. Like he's in that too by the time you hear about it. So for him, when he hears left two, that means hard on the brakes immediately. Whereas I'm like, okay, left two, let me get ready. Let me pick my braking point. Let me figure out where, where on the road I'm going to be. And I need that time. Chris is like on it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so everybody's a little bit different. And so, so it's about building up that rapport with a co-driver and it's, you know, very unlikely that you're going to hop in with a co-driver or a driver and win your first race because you need to learn that about each other.
0: So I find myself sometimes when somebody's throwing notes and maybe something happened, I get to thinking about something else and, and like suddenly realize, oh shit, I don't know what the next corner is. Yeah. So how do you how do you I mean I'm assuming this happens to everybody maybe it's just me but uh, yeah. Doug, like how do you bring yourself back, back into our, yeah, back into the present and like get yeah. caught back up
2: especially when you know like I say it's like you you've got uh, you saw your buddies crash in the last corner and you're either laughing at them
1: mm-hmm. or
2: worried about them mm-hmm. right and and uh, or, or just you're, you know just as a driver you're wondering like what happened right. And so, so it's super easy to get distracted. And believe me, I, like I see a squirrel, and I'm like, "Look at the squirrel!" And and so uh, I'm super easily distracted. But that's part of what I love about uh, driving. It's like you know, as an entrepreneur with a lot going on, many different businesses, and 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 you know, a lot of different projects, and a lot of different things. Like like there is no on time and off time for me. Like here we are. It's Saturday. It's it's uh, you know, I'm things are going to happen. Like it's twenty four seven. There's no there's no Uh, uh, business hours as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And when I'm in the car, it's everything's off. Like (laughs) I'm not taking a call halfway through stage. Uh, uh, And so that's the only time that I can be really, truly hyper-focused on exactly what's going on and nothing else. If there's anything else in my mind, we're we're probably going to crash and die. So there better not be. And you keep that hyper-focus. And that's part of what I love about it. But Shane knows me well enough and he I don't even know that I'm distracted and thinking about something else, but he knows, mm-hmm. he, he knows me well enough to know that he's thinking about that goddamn squirrel. Like I saw that <laughs> squirrel and now he's thinking about the squirrel and to say, <laughs> get about the squirrel left to, and, and the, so he, he knows when to come in and out of it. And then you, you, you just got to keep coming back. And we have, um, because, you know, things happen like, like sometimes it's bad notes, right? Like, like whatever note and whatever reason or the road changed or the conditions changed or, or, you know, especially on, you know, like big white winter rally, like the conditions can change dramatically mm-hmm. stage, to stage night to night. And when you wreckied it, there was no snow on the road and now there's four inches of snow on the road. It's a very different event. And so we have a bunch of code words that we use, mm-hmm. uh, especially, um, you know, so I'll say things like next more than mm-hmm or or i'll say like are we we're trying to edit the notes on the fly and some co-drivers have a real struggle with that like i know with some co-drivers like i I can't give them edits on the fly, or they're gonna get behind uh whereas shane i know i i know what i can say and when i can say it in order to clean that note up for the next pass and i'll just i'll try to say like up or down to just say that corner was more or less severe i could have gone faster or could have gone slower And so we have a bunch of shorthand that we've developed over time to let him know um, that I want to change a note or that I need more, or he'll give me a whole mouthful. And by the time I go over that crest, get around this corner and then get down this straightaway, I don't know what's that next corner is. He might've told me, but it didn't stay. And that's when I say, what's this or next, Mm -hmm. or, um, or usually he, again, he knows me, he knows I forgot that and he knows I gave him, he gave me five things and I can only retain three. And so when we catch him there, it's like, and he'll say, you know, he'll say, you know, left six into right five, over crest, 100, uh, into left, and then 100, left two. And he knows by the time I get over that crest into the 100, I don't know about that left two. And and so he'll say, okay, and here's your left two or you're in your left five. And so he will, he will give me reminders as we go that, this is where we are and this is what next. So he, you know, a lot of drivers, if you repeat notes, they get confused and like, Oh, like, like it's this and then that, but you know, again, co-drivers have a language of like repeat left this and there, or this is your thing or here it comes or after this, this is like, after this crest is that. And that's always the biggest stuff. is like knowing, knowing when not to end a set of notes on a crest. and like, that doesn't help me. I need to know what's on. I need to know how fast I can go over this crest because what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's a good go driver. They would never end anything on a crest.
0: Well, before we wrap this up, I'm kind of curious if you had an opportunity to run any kind of car, um, out on stage, your choice, what, what would be the one car, even if it meant you were five foot eight?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited about running an R5 because I know it's a lot of car, but, uh, it's a manageable amount of car and it's actually, you know, but but making this step into four wheel drive and a lot of power, I'm super nervous about it. But, but I'm also super excited because I know, you know, that car is just built for this, and it's so. Uh, so I'm really like, yeah, I would say a Fiesta R5 is is kind of my dream car to drive right now. But at the same time, yeah, those classics of like a Renault Turbo or you know Renault Five Turbo or Renault Alpine or, you know, any of those, those, you know, 70s cars and Lancia 034, like, like, these are gorgeous, like, a, a, a you know, um, a Delta, Lancia Delta, like, I'd love to drive all of these cars. Um, but yeah, I also know that they're super finicky as hell, and I'm unlikely to finish. And uh, if you if you put one of those into the woods, it's a very expensive trip. Like, I would love to race a Lancia Stratos, but no, nah, no. Nah. No, thank you. I I don't like not even like the cost of replacing that thing, but the the I'd be I mean I'm that guy. There's one less stratos in the world because of me. Right, you know? right.
0: Well, just so you know, big people do fit in delta integrals. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah we,
2: we we could do that. Chuck Thanks Story, sure. I don't know if you know Chuck Story in Ontario has built one and it's gonna be out on Canadian stages hopefully this year.
1: Oh nice.
0: fun. Yeah, I want to talk to him. I own a sixteen valve also. Oh, nice! melt integral sixteen. If you
1: want to buy it, we could free up a spot.
2: Yeah, yeah, I got no place for it. Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. So, even though we're in a little bit of a weird state with the world, what's next on your race calendar?
2: Well, after such a tough year last year, like we, you know, we 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 had multiple DNFs uh, because of engine failure, or like on different cars. So it's like I had three races, three DNFs. All you know Fiesta R2s, but three different Fiesta R2s. Like my Mexican one, my North American, like my, my you know Vancouver one, and uh, one that we rented off of Dave Wallingford, his R2T. Um, you know, engine failure on all three in all three races. It was just a terrible year. So I was super excited about coming back this year. Um, you know, we won our first race in Rallye Persanage. Uh, and so, you know, off to a good start of my Canadian championship for the, the two wheel drive championship was we won a few years ago, but, uh, was hoping to give a run for it again this year, but you know, now you don't know. So, you know, OTR was on the calendar, Olympus, Rocky mountain, all of those, like, I want to be out racing with my buddies right now. So bad. And, uh, but here we are and, and yeah, we don't know when this is over. So I'm trying not to look too forward of like, Hey, we're going to do this one or that one. Cause we don't know if this is going to be, you know, weeks, months, or, or, you know, we're already hunkered down for years. We're up here. I'm planting potatoes. We got radishes in the ground. We're, the zombies can't get us up here. We're out. I'm you know, coming in a boat, so they can't get me here. Uh, and assuming got- you can swim. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, zombies uh, can't I- swim
1: it's a really interesting yeah. time as organizers because we want to be ready as soon as we're allowed we're going to go yeah. but at the same time we have to be thoughtful like what are we going to do for the next month or two months so yeah it's just yeah. a
2: yeah. yeah we just don't know you just yeah. got to be patient to see. is there, like i say there's there's the before time and the before times are gone yeah like they're never and believe me i hope they don't come back i wasn't a big fan of before times you know it was pretty whack so hopefully we can uh, uh change change a lot for the better and i'm actually optimistic that a lot of good will come out of this i know it's hard i know a lot of people are are really struggling hard right now and and, and you know yay socialism uh you know let's let's help each other out because uh, uh it really needs to be done right now and, and and as a you know a privileged guy who can do this i'm trying my best to do extra and stay locked down extra for those people who can't and have to go to work and uh just staying out of their way and try not to use their resources unless i have to um, but uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of time to pass. So there's the before times that are never coming back. Mm-hmm. And then there's the after times. And we don't know what the after times are gonna look like. We don't know when they're coming, we don't and there's no sense even planning. There's no sense trying to figure it out because it's all gonna change so much between now and then. Mm-hmm. Just concentrate on the now times. Mm-hmm. Take care of yourself, take care of the people you love, um, you know, stay home, stay safe, stay out of trouble, uh and and you know we'll see what happens, but it's just, it's just the now times. Yeah.
1: I like to call it proactive patience. Like you have to stay where you are. You have to do all these things, but you can, you can do some work so you're ready when, when it's time to go.
2: Oh, I'm ready. You guys, you get an event on, I'm, I'm, will be there.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Please tell people where they can find you online.
2: Uh, so the, you can go to the app store, check out our games, uh, the trailer park boys, Check out our games and uh, the new Cheech and Chong game that we just launched. Uh, if you're a fan of the Goldbergs, which is great, 80s teamer, it's launching next week. Uh, you know, check it out. Eastside Games is the name of the company. Uh, we And then our weed-based stuff and our Cheech uh, um, and Chong and all of all that stuff, we actually just took public on the Canadian Venture Exchange last weekend. So if you're, you're into trading stocks, you can check it out. It's called Leaf, Leaf Mobile Incorporated uh you know uh, so yeah lots of exciting things going on uh really happy to to have this opportunity to chat with you guys and uh yeah check out our games and hopefully to see everybody out of the next event come by say hi we'll give you a sticker and uh you know sit in my car and get your picture taken whatever i'm happy to to do that and and uh uh, i'm 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 also thankful to the rally world because uh you know, it expands our little bubbles, right? Like, you know, I live in my little, you know, left-coast liberal bubble bullshit. And uh, I know you guys are deep in the heart of it, too. I know you got a big heart, you know. and uh, uh, But uh, it's nice to get exposed to my crazy redneck uh, uh, Mid-America friends on uh, through Rally. And so it's a very diverse group. And it's always great to hear other people's uh, perspectives, as far as bizarre as some of them might be. And, uh, it's a great world of really diverse people. And I'm really thankful for all of the friends and, uh, people I've had, uh, the mentors I've had and people like Ty Stohinanen and Power Shard and all of the great people who have taught me so much over the years. And, uh, I'm happy to pass that on and help the next guy not make the same mistakes that I did.
0: Yeah. Rally family's great.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, beep beep. yeah. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jason. If you did, we would love to know. The best way to tell us is by sharing the episode. Take a screenshot and post it on Instagram and tag us at ModRacing. Mod is spelled M-O-D-D because it's an acronym for Motorsports and Driver Development. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you wanna support the show, please take a minute to leave a rating and a review. Thanks for joining us. Catch you guys next time.